when I was a uh, kid, uh, Hungry Jack products uh, were getting real popular. And I, I remember uh, the commercial for Hungry Jack uh, pancakes and, and biscuits. And you had this mom, she was calling her, her son Hungry Jack to the table to eat. And she was serving these just amazing looking pancakes. And uh, Jack was hungry. And Jack was a giant. And uh, how many of you remember those commercials? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was so big, you could just see his legs. And then he would reach down and take the plate, and then he would return the empty plate. And they had that great jingle, and it was hungry, hungry Jack. They gobble him up, and the plate comes back for hungry Jack. You know, and it was just this great uh, booming voice. My brother and I talked my mom into uh, buying the Hungry Jack pancake mix. And so we came home, and that evening we had pancakes. And it, it was a big deal, okay? We were in junior high, and we got excited about stuff like that. And so my mom, she's making pancakes. We're uh, eating them as fast as she could make them. And so she couldn't keep up with us. We were devouring these things, and it got kind of ridiculous at a, at a point. And uh, that's why. All right, there we go. Is that a little better? <laughs> anyway, it got really ridiculous. And at a point, it kind of became a game with us. We were, uh, you might say, out of control. And we were stuffing pancakes in our mouth almost whole, just shoving them in. And then we started feeding them to our dog, French, and we were hiding pancakes, and Mom didn't realize it, so she's hustling in the kitchen, and she's turning out pancakes, and she's kind of in disbelief, and she's kind of laughing, but she's sweating, she can't keep up with this, and then she's starting to complain. She goes, what has gotten into you boys? And we're going, hungry jack, hungry jack, you know. And, and so we're laughing and carrying on, and then the jig was kind of up. Mom goes, Boys, now I want to translate that. That means I know something's up, all right? I know you boys are up to something, to which we sang, Hungry Jack, Hungry Jack. They gobble them up and the plate comes back, yeah, Hungry Jack, you know. And so we just, uh, I, I can almost close my eyes and remember that moment. Today's topic takes its cues from Hungry Jack. It takes its cues in the in the sense that it's about trying to please people, and when we get hungry for people's approval, it kind of messes us up. It leaves us exhausted, it, trying to produce for the crowd, you might say, that you will never be happy with that kind of, of performance in life. The crowd's never happy with you. You're never happy with yourself. They always, always, always want more from you. And so what happens is when all said and done, they gobble you up, they devour you, you're never satisfied, and they're never satisfied. And so I want to begin today with the words of a great theologian. Uh, it kind of sets the framework for our conversation we're going to have today. And here, here's the quote. I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. Anyone know who said that? Bill Cosby. <laughs> Prophetic voice of Bill. 
I mean, we're in this series, The Hunger Games, and we're asking the question, are you satisfied? You know, we're looking at the words of Solomon. He was the smartest guy in the world, 5th century B.C. He writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of a journal of uh, Solomon's thoughts and observations. It's the collective wisdom of life as, as he observed it. He, he's kind of searching for meaning. He asks a lot of questions like, does work satisfy? Does love satisfy? Does money satisfy? Does pleasure satisfy? What will truly bring satisfaction in life? And so he's kind of unpacking all this for us. He's going down this list of things, all these things that we try and build our life on, all these things that we believe will bring us satisfaction in life and bring us meaning. And so Solomon is holding them up one at a time, and he's discarding them. He's saying, these things do not bring ultimate meaning in life because it's chasing the wind. And so he just one after another after another. Today, we're asking, who are you trying to live for? Who are you trying to live for? It is a critical question. I believe it is a life-changing question, according to how you answer that. Ecclesiastes, he writes, Solomon says, don't listen to everyone, everything people say. You might hear your own servants saying bad things about you. And you know that many times you too have said bad things about other people. Solomon holds up and discards another thing. He says, you know what else doesn't bring satisfaction in life? Listening to every little thing that people have to say about you. In other words, public opinion is not going to satisfy you. Trying to please other people is not going to satisfy you. This is a life-changing idea. See, we live in this world, don't we? No shortage of opinion. How many of you got an opinion? (laughs) I mean, we have opinions about everything. You can like things, leave comments on Facebook. You can uh, favorite or mute on Twitter. You can post reviews on Yelp or a restaurant or a store that you love or hate. You you can even review and rate churches. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, last week uh, I placed an order on Amazon. I bought some double-edged razor blades. I got an email. They wanted me to rate the experience. Now, first of all, I had just ordered them like two minutes ago. And then I'm thinking... Okay, I I haven't even got these things yet. Second thing I thought immediately, the razor blades. I mean, I I didn't go to Paris or Broadway. I I, I didn't read a book or watch a movie. The razor blades, that is not an experience, you know. But our culture loves to critique things. And some of that's good. But we think we need to review everything, rate everything. How many stars? How many likes? How many reviews? You know, and it's a seductive little game. I know because I've played it. I mean, let yourself be defined by anything, anything but God. The God that created you, the God that created you for a purpose, 
on purpose, let that happen, it's meaningless. Chasing the wind. It's not just meaningless. I think it's kind of dangerous, actually. When you live for the opinions of the crowd, it, it is very, very possible that you're just going to miss what God has called you to in your life, what God has led you to, what he's trying to take you to. Because what I have figured out about this world is that it usually does not have much in common when it puts parameters and says this is success as our world defines it. It doesn't have much in common with what God expects. I mean, Solomon, he he wrote uh, Ecclesiastes 2,500 years ago. But when you read the words and the wisdom that is in that book, it's very contemporary. It's timeless. See, Solomon knew what it was like to live for the opinions of other people. He said, you know what it's like? It's like chasing the wind. Good luck with that. He knew what it was like. He knew that it would not satisfy, that it wouldn't bring peace in life. It wouldn't bring joy. You know why? Because it doesn't last. What one person loves, another person what? What one person thinks is amazing, someone else goes, that's a total failure. What is that? You, You end up wearing yourself out when you try to respond to what someone says. Try to adjust to what people want. In fact, you'll end up far away from what God's called you to in life. And you will be anything but satisfied. Solomon says, Do not listen to every little thing that people have to say. Don't do it. It's a trap. It'll mess you up. Over and over throughout Scripture, God is calling his people away from idolatry. This is just another example. When when you allow another person's opinion to define you, what happens is that person becomes your God becomes a substitute for God, the God that made you, the God that called you, the God that wants to define you, wants to lead you. But when you let yourself be defined by the clamoring voices around you, every little thing that they have to say, you end up uh, not very satisfied end up not experiencing that peace. You you miss out on what God created you for. And friends, this is an age-old issue. John writes in the Gospels, he writes that people believed in Jesus. But because they were afraid, they, they stayed quiet. They were afraid of the Pharisees. So they just stayed quiet about their faith in Jesus. In fact, John writes, he says, they, they were more concerned about what people thought of them than about what God thought of them. See, people caught, caught between pleasing God and pleasing people. It's been that way throughout history. It's not a new phenomenon. The other day I was in uh, Walmart. I was looking at games. I was with my uh, grandson, Ethan. We were looking at games, 
and a lady come down the aisle and right over to us. She goes, you need to get a handle on your son. And before, you know, I'm kind of processing for a minute, and I, I couldn't even get a word out. She launches into a rather lengthy reprimand of how I needed to parent, how she had parented, and how that would work really well for me, and she's, she's geared up, and she's going on. And so in my mind, I'm mentally trying to backtrack what we had done in the store, where we had been, what, what possibly could have transpired that I missed somehow. And, and so finally, when she came up for air, I said, this is my grandson. May I ask what he did? And uh, she kind of rolled her eyes and a bit irritated. She goes, I am not talking about him. I am, he's well-behaved. She says, I'm talking about the other kid. And now I'm really perplexed because I only brought one with me. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, did Dason like sneak over here? Or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. And, and so about that time, a kid come around the corner. He's riding a tricycle down, down through there. She goes, that one. <laughs> and I told her, he's not mine. <laughs> and about that time, this mom comes chasing the, this child down the, down the aisle. And so I turn to her and I go, I think that's who you're looking for, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I told her I a pastor at the Baptist church, so anyway. But um, yeah. How many parents we got in the house? Let me see parents. All right. If you're a parent, you are in the high feedback zone. Even strangers will give you advice about how to parent. You know, it's kind of like you're wearing a sign. What do you think of my parenting style? You know, and so they come up and, yeah, I mean, strangers got opinions. Friends got opinions. Parents got opinions. In-laws have opinions. Family have opinions. The kids have opinions. Magazines and books have opinions. Supposed experts, which are really questionable in my mind, have opinions. And it can get really, really confusing. It's true in every area of life. I realized when I first got in ministry that everybody has an opinion. I mean, I, being a pastor, very public. And so there is a, was a steady uh, critiquing that took place, especially in those early days. I'd make a comment or start a ministry or think about this, change something. And one person would love it, and another person hated it. And so early in ministry, I had people from all occupations, and they're coming and telling me how to pastor. And I found it kind of amusing because I was like, have you pastored before? You know. But I realized very, very quickly that if I kept listening to the crowd, and responded to everyone, because everybody wanted you to respond to them, that I would spend my life whiplashed and paralyzed. I realized I would spend my ministry not leading. I'd be ineffective, and I'd be miserable. And most of all, I realized I would miss God's call on my life. That is something I think we all hold in common. It doesn't matter what you do. We all 
get in those spots where opinions are coming at us. All these voices are crashing in on us. And so what do you do? I mean, when you're facing criticism, when, when your mind is reeling and swirling with all these voices, all the noise of the crowd, the first thing that's important to do is to remember who your main audience is. Audience of one. It's God. And you need to remember what God says about you. And I think it's helpful to remember this stuff because it keeps you grounded. You know, it reminds you. There are all kinds of scriptures. Uh, one of them that put up here is Zephaniah, but that just reminds me my relationship with God. It says, for the Lord your God is, is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He, he will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful song. In other words, God's always with us. God's our audience. God's watching over us. God's strengthening you in your life. He's protecting you. He's loving you. And here's what I love. He delights in you. Do you ever think about that? God looks down and delights in your life in a way that it really should calm our fears. Because, friends, when you remember that God wants the very best for you, when you remember that you matter to God, when you remember that, you live differently. So first, you've got to remember, God's, God's your main audience. Audience of one. And the second thing I think that's helpful when you're facing criticisms is to hold tight to what God's calling you to. Whatever it is. You know, God's word calls us to places. And some of you right now, you, there's something you've thought of. God's calling you to. But what happens is when you start moving toward that call, criticism will always escalate in your life. When you're trying to make a difference, when you're trying something new, when you're, when you're trying to change something in your life or in this world. There's a count of uh, very, very famous, most of you would know it, of Jesus' trial. It's found in Luke 23. It's a, it's a good read. Um, but Pilate, you remember, he, he is standing trial over Jesus. And he wants to release Jesus. He knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong. He knew that releasing him was the right thing to do. But the crowd got louder and louder and louder. Scripture says, but they kept urgently demanding with loud voices that he should be crucified. And their voices what? Prevail. Their voices prevail. In other words, Pilate couldn't do what he should do. He couldn't stand up to the crowd. And friends, when I read that, when I think about the implications of that, I, I think I do not want to be that kind of person that wanders away from whatever it is that God's calling me to in, in my life. because. The crowd prevailed. I don't want to be that, and I don't think you do either. I remember uh, early days of the church. We had just got started, and we fully understood that God was calling us to be a church that could reach people, that could reach people that had given up on God, 
had given up on church. Uh, we, we understood God wanted us to kind of think outside the box. And so we were trying to speak the language of the culture around us so that people could understand. And so we started doing things differently. And then some of the criticism followed. You know, someone would come and catch me and go, hey, there's a blog. You need to read this blog. They're just shredding the church, you know, and saying we're not really a church and kind of pot-shotting and some real personal stuff. Uh, as a, a pastor, they were kind of pot-shotting me. People would leave a message on the answering machine or we'd get an email and it'd say, well, Faith Fellowship doesn't believe in the Bible. And here's what I found funny. Every one of the critiques that came in were from people that had never attended here, never been to our church. But they were making noise. No real basis, but a lot of criticism. Followed by long lists of opinions and personal preferences. But friends, we just kept rolling. We said, God's calling us to this. We're going to do this. And so we just kept doing what we were doing. And we kept moving forward and kept being faithful as a church. And I am so thankful that we were able to keep clear as a church whose voice we were going to listen to. I mean, we were aware of the criticism, but never once did, you, did we read the criticism and go, oh, no. You know, you, you think, what? Oh, shut it down. Let's not do this. You know, I want to be a person that just listens to God. I want this to be a church that is listening to God and pleases God. That's first and foremost. You know, when God is speaking and working in your life, I'll almost guarantee you that you will receive criticism. Some of you are, are trying to change things in your life. Get prepared for the criticism. So, friends, you've got to keep clear what it is that God's calling you to. You've got to keep it at the forefront of your vision. It will give you clarity about whose voice you ought to be listening to. There, there's a picture frame in my office. It's right above my computer where I can see it every morning. And it's the uh, cover of the invitation that my, my family sent out when I was being ordained. That was almost 30 years ago. And it's Isaiah. It's this passage right here. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. That's a life verse for me. I read it almost every day, sometimes multiple times through the day. It reminds me who I'm to listen to. It keeps me focused on God's calling on my life. It keeps me grounded when all the world gets really, really noisy. It reminds me who I'm to listen to. It reminds me who I serve. It reminds me who matters, ultimately. You know, no one's opinion, no matter how loud the voice, will keep me from doing what it is God's called me to do and what God's laid out in my life. But friends, it can get noisy. And the crowd can get in the way of what God's laid out. 
and put out in my life. It's the same for you. You know, sometimes uh, God, God's speaking and you know and you just got to keep plowing. So you start with an audience of one. It's God. You hold tight to what God's called you to or what God's calling you to at this moment and you keep moving toward it. And then you develop a filter. In other words, which voices in this world are going to get airtime in your life? And, and here's a key phrase that you kind of tuck back. Not everyone, but not no one. Not everyone, but not no one. The, the people that love me, they need to tell me something, point something out. Even if it's difficult, I need to hear it. I need to listen to, to what they say. I need to think about it. I need to wrestle with it. I need to face it. I need to learn from it. It helps me grow. But friends, you can't listen to everyone. But if you won't accept criticism from anyone, that's dangerous too. See, it's kind of the two extremes there. In other words, if you won't accept criticism from someone, it means you won't grow. It means you won't get better. It means you won't learn in life. Solomon writes in the Proverbs, he says, whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. See, he understood that. You've got to be open to criticism from the right sources. In other words, uh, godly critique from godly brothers and sisters that love you, that want the best for you in life. And if you have those people in your life, when they speak, best advice I can give you is you ought to listen to what they have to say because God's working through them. You, you should listen, listen intently and carefully. Other people, instead of listening, they listen to everything. They have no filter in life. Everything goes straight to the heart. And so if it's a comment from a friend, it hits them in the heart. If it's an offhanded comment from a stranger, that undoes them too. See, again, we got extremes. Some people never listen to anything. Some people shut out everything, anything critical. They just shut it out. They have family, friends, stranger, doesn't matter. They go it alone. Not going to listen to anybody. In fact, if you talk to them, they, they will move forward with certainty that they know what's right and everybody else is wrong. Anybody know? Don't point. Anybody know people like that? Every once in a while, I'll hear someone say, I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, you should care what some, some people think. But you've got to decide which people it is that you care about what they think. So you've got to develop a filter. Develop a filter and decide whose voice matters. Whose voice matters more. Whose voice matters less. Not everyone, but not no one. You know, people should listen to certain critiques. You know, when, when the criticism is flying, 
good rule of thumb, this is what I use anyway, are the people that are speaking, are they echoing God's love for me? Are they echoing what God's belief is in, in my life? And, that, and that's a good rule for you. Because this doesn't mean everybody agrees with you. Okay? It doesn't mean that the people speaking into your life uh, think you're perfect. But they should be able to speak to you because they love you. It means that they're not there to tear you down. They're there to help build you up. They're telling you the truth or their observation or whatever in an effort to help you be better at whatever it is that you're doing. You know, in Proverbs uh, 27, it says, you can trust what your friends say, even when it hurts. But your enemies, they want to hurt you even when they act nice. In other words, you got to figure out who it is that you listen to who it is you know. Everybody, everybody needs a small group of people who love them unconditionally, who have their best interest at heart, who help you be better at being you. Now, I know in an ideal world, that should be the people that are closest to you relationally. But I know in a crowd this size, some of you would say that's not the case in my life. Here's what I want to say to you if that's not the case. If the people closest to you are not in your corner, in other words, if they intentionally hurt you, consistently tear you down, you know, speak to you in demeaning ways or make you feel unloved, then what, what you need to do with that is you need to create some distance. So understand that. If they make you feel unloved, if they're just there to rip you apart, then what you need to do, create some distance, create some boundaries, and protect yourself from their words, which may mean you physically got to create distance. It definitely means you got to create for yourself some uh, thicker skin, so to speak. But again, not everyone, but not no one. I went to a uh, small uh, private school my uh, freshman year in high school, and uh, very, very small school. They put in a trampoline. Now, it didn't have all the safety stuff you got on them today, because I grew up in a time when they wanted to see if you could survive childhood. <laughs> all right. And, but the school, they wouldn't allow us to jump on the trampoline unless we had enough people to surround the trampoline. And so we would gather around the trampoline. We'd put our hands up in the air, and we were, I think they call it spotting for the jumper. And we became the, the safety net, so to speak. But, so what would happen is a person would climb up in the center. We'd all be gathered out around it. and Let's just say Steve, and he was really good on the trampoline. Steve, Steve got up to jump. We had a, a little cheer that we would do, and we'd go, Hey, Steve, do your thing. Let's see what you can bring. Come on, Steve, do your thing. And, uh, you know, we would kind of cheer it out. And uh, 
So Steve would start jumping, and he'd do crazy stuff, and some people would get up there and dance. Somebody might flip and, you know, do a twist or whatever. Everybody had their own unique thing that they did, okay? I said it was a small school. We didn't have much happening, okay? So, but this was a big deal. I was thinking about that experience. And I think that's what you need when you are facing criticism in your life. You need a group of people that will surround you and protect you and keep you safe and that they will remind you to do your thing, do your thing, do your God-given thing and to just cheer you along, to remind you of God's calling on your life, to remind you of that call as a parent or as a spouse or as a leader or someone in business, you know, to, to be a person of faith, to remind you to do the right thing, not the easy thing, the right thing, the God-honoring thing in life, you know, to remind you that you're to be a voice of righteousness in this world, to remind you that you're to be salt and light to the people around you, that you're to be who God created you to be. This world gets loud. And our culture has all kinds of voices. And they'll get in your head. And they will destroy you. They will make you second-guess yourself, second-guess about going God's way in your life. They will make you second-guess being who God created you to be and it called you to be in life. That's just the way culture is. In fact, I know some of you right now, you're ready to bail. You're ready to bail on what you know is right, what you know is godly in life. You're ready to abandon that call of God on you. Maybe as a parent, you're ready to bail out. Because the, the values as a Christian This culture, they're under fire. Culture's loud. Oh, that's outdated. Everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? And because other parents have caved in, because your child's whining and objecting to whatever it is, those voices are getting so loud, you're ready to abandon God's call on you as a parent. Parents, be strong. Gather other Christian parents around you to encourage you, to cheer you on, to keep you going. Parents, you are called to do your thing, God-given thing. Don't bow down to the world's voices. It is too important. Eternity, eternity is in the balance there. I mean, some of you, the voices are getting loud and you're ready to bail on your marriage. You see, the world has a really strong voice in this arena because they paint this really ridiculous, twisted image of what marriage is about. The world says, marriage isn't working. Don't work on it. Move on. You know, do what makes you happy. No lines, no accountability. It's all about you. And friends, those voices are loud and they're really appealing. You know why? Because they appeal to our our selfish nature. And God's spirit is whispering, hang in there, work on it. 
But you've got to decide which voice matters. The crowd. Friends that aren't really friends going, oh, be done with it. You need voices. The people that care about you, love you, Christian mature voices that say, do your thing, do your God-given thing, stand your ground, keep moving forward, hang in there. I mean, some of you are ready to sacrifice your integrity, your honor, your purity, whatever. And because the voices are loud, because the, it would be easier to just join with the crowd because everybody's doing it and it doesn't matter. Temporary gains are appealing. But friends, you need Christians, mature Christians standing by you, cheering you on, stand strong, do the God-honoring thing, do your thing, but be God-honoring. And my question is, do you have that kind of person? and people in your life, people that can surround you and lift their arms up and protect you and love you and encourage you and cheer for you. Do your thing. Let's see what you can bring. Do your thing. Do your God-given thing. See, Solomon, Solomon understood all this. He understood centuries ago, you can waste your life chasing after the approval of people. He says, it's chasing the wind. You'll never get it. You'll never catch it. You'll never win. It'll exhaust you. You listen to those voices, and what happens is you will live life confused, and you'll live life untethered, and you'll end up living an ungodly life, and you will forget who you are and who God created you to be. You will fail to be that person that God's called you to be. And friends, if you listen to those voices, listen to the crowd, listen to this culture, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. You will never experience true joy and true peace, peace that passes all understanding. In fact, if you keep listening to the crowd, you will get to the end of life and realize you spent your entire life chasing the wind. And here's the deal. I do not know everyone here personally. But I don't have to know you all personally to know that you matter to God. To know that your voice matters. To know that God has called you to various things as a parent as a spouse, as a person in business, as a person in the community, as a neighbor, that God's called you to certain things, and I know that. And I know that God created you to make a difference in this world. And I know that you need to stand strong. And you need to be whoever it is God's called you to be. You need to be obedient. You need to be God-honoring. Audience of one. It's all that matters, ultimately. Pleasing God. It's all that matters. And it's the key to satisfaction. You want to be satisfied in life? Figure out how to live for him. I want to close with uh, Ephesians. Ask the band to come up. We're going to continue worship. But 
Paul writes this, he says, for we are God's what? What? You ever think about it? You're a masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I don't know what it is that God's called you to, but I can almost guarantee you that every one of us, there is something. You go, I've been putting this off. I've not been doing. I know God wants me to do this. I know God wants this out of me. And I want to say to you today, do your thing. Bring it. Do your thing. Do your God-given thing, whatever it is. Stand your ground. Be who God created you to be. Figure out whose voice you're going to listen to. It'll make a difference in having satisfaction in your life. In fact, it may be an eternal difference if you don't get it straight. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I encourage you, if you've got something going on in life, maybe need prayer specific for something, we'll have prayer teams down front here uh, afterwards. I'd be glad to pray with you, but uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we thank you. You created fearfully and wonderfully. God, I pray that every person would leave here, that they would be reminded of just how much you love them. God, help us. It is so easy to get confused in this world. Help us to sort through those voices. Help us to always know when your Holy Spirit's whispering. God, help us to know what Christian brothers and sisters we need to pull alongside. Be very clear on who we listen to and who we don't. God, forgive us those times we went with culture. Maybe it was even a friend, but it wasn't godly advice. God, just help us to able to sort all that stuff out. God, I pray that we would always, with everything we say, everything we do, that we would please you. Above all things. God, we just give you the praise. We give you the glory. This day and every day. God's people said.